It's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. All right, let's get going. I'm super excited to welcome my next guest to Raise Nation Radio. We are going to actually hit the stage of the ballroom, lift up the curtains and take a quick peek behind the scenes on what happens in an auctioneer's life and all those best practices and tips that we can really drive results in the ballroom. It's going to be a fascinating conversation because it's not as easy as just hopping up on stage and grabbing a mic. There's a lot that goes into it. And my guest is going to teach us all about that. So please welcome to Raise Nation Radio, Mr. Andy Sachs from Spark Presentations out of the Massachusetts, Boston area. Hi, Andy. How are you? It's so good that you could join us today. Hi, Dawn. Doing great. It's so good that I have you here and that you're from Boston. Many of our audience knows my daughter, Alyssa, who runs her own nonprofit. She is a sophomore at Boston College. So after the show, I might need you to go check up on her or get her 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 next order from Whole Foods or something like that. So I'm glad I have a contact over there in the Boston area. But you really travel the country with the work you do, don't you? I do. Yes. Yeah. Um, Pretty exciting. Well, you know what? Let's start there because we want our audience to get to know you um, a little bit better. And what's it like to be a benefit auctioneer? And how did you get started in in this type of work? And just give us a little history about your background and tell us a little bit about you personally, too. We'd love to get to know you. Sure. Well, I've been doing public speaking and presenting in one form or another, including the auctioneering for about 24 years. Uh, I live about 30 miles west of Boston in the Metro West area with my wife. I have a 12-year-old daughter and we have a cat named Buddy. I, I, he'd, be, he'd kill me if I didn't mention him. Oh, Buddy. Hey, how you doing? And what's your, what's your daughter's name? Kara. Kara or Tara? Kara, C-A-R-A. Oh, hi, Kara. How are you? You can let her listen to this, Andy. She'll, oh, she'll, be, she'll be waving right back. She'll be thrilled. <laughs> So I started about 24 years ago. I, I started my own company. It's a long time, boy. Yeah, yeah that was a while. Uh, called Spark Presentations. And initially, I focused on uh, giving presentations in the corporate world. So being a trade show booth presenter or being an MC for a traveling show or a product launch, you know, the guy basically who stands on stage at some special event and represents the company. And I'd been doing that for about a dozen years. And one day, uh, someone I knew was a contact at the Boston Jewish Film Festival. She was the managing director at the time, called me just out of the blue. And she said, hey, we have a fundraiser coming up in a few months. We need a live auctioneer. I thought of you. You're hired. And I certainly knew live auctioneering existed, but didn't know much about it, had never tried it. But suddenly I was being called into service. Wow. That was answering the call of duty. How'd you do? Can I ask? How how did that go? It went really well. And Ah. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I brought some skills from my corporate work into the nonprofit world, which helped out a lot. 
Uh, and I just found it, it was really fun. And there was a, a real enjoyment and sort of a warm fuzzy that came from helping a nonprofit support themselves, especially one in my own backyard that I hadn't quite experienced in the corporate world. And I really enjoyed that. So I said, hey, I want to do more of these. And I just kept on going. Wow. And that was almost a decade ago, a little bit longer. Yeah, that was 11 years ago. Wow. Good for you. So you kind of had that calling, you know, of yeah. doing more um, with, with your talents. That's very similar to, I think, the culture here at One Cause. We, mm -hmm. um, you know, we get that we're software developers, but we also get that we're software developers for nonprofits. Yeah. And when we can help them raise more money, um, we, we've had 10,000 customers and help them raise four billion on our platform. That feels good, right? I mean, it feels good to know that what we're doing is helping nonprofits fundraise better so that they could build better communities and better tomorrows for for our daughters, right? For Kara and my daughter, Alyssa, right? So Absolutely. And, you know, these are towns I know. These are people I know. These are causes I grew up with. I'm familiar with them. So it's really just, it's super special to take the stage and represent them. But you go, you 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 do travel the country, yes. right? Yes. Where have you been? In the United States only? Have you branched uh, out? For the, well, for the corporate work, I've gone all over the place. I'm sort of embarrassed to say I've been to Las Vegas over a hundred times. I stopped counting after that. Um, I've done nothing embarrassing about that. I love Las Vegas. <laughs> It messes with your mind after a while. Uh, and I've been to Europe and as far as Hong Kong and South Africa for the corporate work. Uh, in For live auctioneering and for nonprofits, it's mainly been based in the Northeast. So I was in Manhattan a couple of weeks ago doing an event for a, um, a really wonderful organization. And most of it is centered around the Boston area. Got it. Okay. So let's, we're going to lift that curtain up, right? We, are, we yeah. have fundraisers that are listening. They really want to know. It's been a couple of hard years. You you uh -huh. know that. I don't want to talk pandemic anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, the reality of where we are right now is um, everyone's excited to go back to the ballroom or so they say they are. But then when it comes to attendance or selling tickets, I don't know. You know, it's hard filling that ballroom. So there's a lot of pressure to maximize the giving. So our fundraisers need as many tips as they can get from you today okay. that you can possibly, you possibly can come out and come, come, you know, that you can possibly give us. So let's start with, um, how, you know, what do you do? I mean, we talked about it. Is it, do you, do you just pick up a mic and hit the stage or pull up that curtain? Tell us what's really happening or should happen behind the scenes. I have never just picked up a mic and taken the stage. In I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> no, in, in 24 years, I am just the way I made up as a person is that I have to feel 100% prepared before I take the stage, not only for what should happen, but for what I'm going to do if something unexpected happens. And if I'm not there yet, that's what I'll be working on in the days and weeks leading up to the event. And I think that preparation tends to pay off. I think at least it does for me. You get events that run very smoothly. Uh, I'm very aware that the event planners out there and the nonprofit managers, they work so hard. They have so many other things to worry about for their event. So I try to be one headache-free part of the process. I do as much as I can behind the scenes without even bothering them with it. I do a lot of my own research and I try to make sure that anytime I come to them, I frame the problem in a way that it's easy for them to give an answer and dispense with it. And then I go away and make it happen. So how should a nonprofit or, or an event planner or event coordinator, mm -hmm. they're, they're planning their gala, how should they prepare 
to work with their auctioneer? When should they start? What questions should they ask? What information should they share? How much do they need to do? How much should the auctioneer, like what would if an auctioneer? So I think that's our first sign. If an auctioneer mm-hmm. says, oh yeah, sure. I'll show up that night and just make sure I have a mic and a spotlight and we're good. Probably, probably you know, not, not good. So what should a fundraiser do? That there may be auctioneers who can work that way and do a great job. It's just not how I'm built. So instead, I would give two key pieces of information. I would boil it down to this. Start as early as you can and milk that auctioneer for all they're worth. Get every piece what? of ice. That's coming from an auctioneer. No, oh, my really. goodness. I mean, I, I tell people this when they call me. I, I want to give them every cent worth of value from working with me that I that I possibly can. So. I ask them, as soon as you are ready to bring me into the conversation, I am ready to go. And I've started as early as nine months before. Nine months. Yes. Oh, wow. So get your venue, call your auctioneer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you're getting married, you know, book the venue and then book the DJ immediately after. Okay. Uh, so I like to be involved all the way through. First of all, I like to know what they're doing. I like to know what they're planning. Just as background knowledge, it gives me a sense of what they want the event to be about, how they envision it. And then beyond that, there will be questions in every call where they would like some outside advice. And that's why I'm there. How many items should we have? What kind should they be? Where should we price them? You know, does does item A work better or worse than item B? Should we do a fund the need? What other what other fundraising games and events can we have here that are sort of semi unofficial, but will bring in some more money? And I like to be part of those conversations. I like to make suggestions. I like to add value. Uh, I like to make sure that I am helping them steer that train so that it ends up in the right place. And and I, I'm very, very aware when I'm working with nonprofits of the responsibility to help them maximize the opportunity. And that if I let them down, I let their beneficiaries down as well. So I take that very seriously. So should the auctioneer almost be a fly in the wall in all your planning meetings or at least invite them and and have them involved every step of the way? Is that what you're saying? I would encourage you to at least ask. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it helps the auctioneer when they have just for background knowledge to be able to contribute, to be able to tell you, oh, actually, you may not want to try that. I've done that 10 times and it doesn't work. Instead, you know, here's a suggestion for what might work better for you. But to make those suggestions, you have to know about the nonprofit. You have to know their background and their goals. You have to be in a comfortable relationship with them so you feel comfortable sharing and they feel comfortable taking suggestions from you. And it takes time to build that relationship. Well, I think there's the first tip when you're looking at your contract with your auctioneer. I would, I guess, look for time built in or ask about the time built in pre-event mm-hmm. so that you can get the, you know, that alignment going. Um, so let's move, though, to the stage. Right. And and the, w- what are you talking for a half hour, sometimes an hour between an, an ask and, and some live auction items? It, is that fair there's a lot yeah. of a lot of dialogue going on on that stage how do you how do you script all of that get it all down memorize it how, how does all that happen well i'm not a, i am a fan of scripting and i'm not a fan of memorizing so i have a way to cheat um wait scripting I, without memorize oh, yes. all right i got to hear this tip it's a here wonderful world so first when i did this event for the Boston Jewish Film Festival. This is my very first one. And I didn't really know what to say. I'm coming at it for the first time. I'm learning as much as I can along the way. Uh, And I said, well, when I do booth presentations or when I emcee an event in the corporate world, I write a word for word script. Could I do that for you? And they had never heard that before. 
But it seemed to me to be a way, first of all, to create a comfort level so that I would know that every word on, that I'm saying on stage is a word they want me to say, and also to create a comfort level for them. So we can make sure the script sort of forces us to agree before the event that every single thing I say, the pronunciation of every name, uh, every, you know, every time I reference a statistic, just every little piece of that script, everything that comes out of my mouth, into the microphone, through the speakers, into the audience's ears is 100% accurate because anything that's just a little bit off is a reminder to the audience that I don't really work for this nonprofit that I came in from the outside and I want to present myself as part of the team. So I was in the habit before I started doing auctioneering of writing a word for word script and I've found that the nonprofits love this. So I start very early. We work through all those details. What are the auction items? Will you have a fund the need? What kind of MC games can we play even before the live auction? So I can connect with the audience. We can have some fun. You can raise some more money. Uh, and then we write that all out once we have those details. Word for word. Yes, I write them all out into a word-for-word -word script of absolutely everything I'm going to say, except for the bidding itself, which is, of course, spontaneous. And it's not done until the client gives it back to me and says, we have 100% approved every single word. And, you know, that might be one draft, it might be 10 drafts, but whatever it takes, that's what we do. Wow. I love that because then you kind of have a check and balance. There's no coulda, shoulda, woulda. Right. It's like, oh, you could have said that. I forgot this. Right. It's, it's totally written out word for word. And then the nonprofit has that opportunity to bless, edit, tweak, sit with it, get different reviewers and get yeah. it just perfect so that there's no there are no regrets. But you mentioned word for word script, yet no memorization. I'm a little bit confused here. Can, can you help me out how that yeah. happens? So I'm awful at memorization and don't enjoy it. So I brought over a tool that I use in the corporate world called the ear prompter, which is just a godsend for auctioneering. It's, it works incredibly well. Basically, it's an audio recorder and the actual physical recorder itself. There are lots of options, but but the idea is that you're using an audio recorder and you record once the once the script is 100 percent approved, you make an audio recording of exactly the way you want to deliver it. So not only the words, but the pacing, the inflection, the energy level, the pronunciation of people's names, the pauses. Uh, everything that goes into that script and delivering that script goes into your recording and it really has to sound perfect before you're done. And then when I'm actually on stage as an auctioneer or a fund the need facilitator, I have that recording on a device in my pocket. I play it into an earpiece that the audience can't see. So I'm feeding myself the audio of my recording in real time. And I'm talking about one second behind the recording I'm hearing. So I'm hearing a recording of my own voice. Every word is going into my ear exactly at the moment I need to hear it, along with, again, the pauses and the prop cues and everything else. And that means that instead of focusing inwardly, instead of worrying about, can I remember what to say next? Or, you know, they, they just told me two weeks ago not to forget to men mention this person's name, and now I can't remember their name. Or instead of having to stand up and read a script, which completely disconnects you from the audience, if it's on paper... All I have to do is listen to the words coming into my head and keep my focus on the audience so I can keep my intention on them. Uh, I can worry about things like, am I making eye contact? Is this resonating with them? Is there a better, could I, could I tweak the wording on the fly as I'm delivering this phrase to make it sound uh, you know, more appealing to them in any way? Can I stick in a joke here in this pause that I hadn't even thought of before? 
So it you play with it as you deliver it so it doesn't sound robotic. And that allows it to sound very smooth, very polished, very professional. And I think helps you connect better with the audience and just take one of the biggest worries of performance completely out of the picture. Wow. So I... I don't think I have the talent for that. I don't, yeah, I, I better stick with my day job. That sounds... You could do it, Don. No. Could. Yeah, wow. That's pretty amazing. And you know what? I love that you you took this from the corporate world, right? You were kind of voluntold for your very first, <laughs> you know, benefit auctioneer um, yes, I was. gig, right? So yeah. you, you kind of was like, okay, I have to figure this out. And you drew from what you knew in the corporate world because uh, my background is, is events, event marketing, trade shows. So I remember those, those, you know, teleprompter, not teleprompters, yeah. like, you know, the like I remember those yeah. things. Um, a lot of times, um, you trade show the booths would have like a spokesperson and yeah. you know they're going over something so that must be what they were doing I never really knew but you just explained it to me so you took a tip from the corporate world and you brought it to the stage yeah um that's fascinating I, I don't know that I know anybody that does that but um I can see where it really helps you not forget anything especially an important donor or a thank you or or something you know important about an item that was donated or a blackout day or whatever, whatever it is. You can't, there's a lot, lot to remember there. So that's fascinating, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Does it sound overproduced? Is it, can, can you ad lib on the fly? Can you change your inflection? Can you banter with the audience or tell a joke? Does it give you the opportunity to do that? Because there's definitely something to be said about authenticity, which is why podcasts now are so, you know, here at One Cause, we have our webinars, which are very structured and, but we also have Raise Nation Radio, which is just you and I talking, right? So does it give you the opportunity to do that? Yes. And the authenticity is really in the performance, just as if you had memorized, just as if you were reading off a piece of paper. It's just that the words are coming from a different avenue that happens to work better in performance than either of those. And there, it does leave room to do that. You can pause the recording. You can fast oh, forward. Oh. You can rewind. You have total control over it. So if I leave a five-second pause in the recording, for example, for a round of applause, and the round of applause goes for 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 20 seconds, Boom, I, can, hit, got it. Yeah, I hit the pause button. I wait it out. When the applause is dying, I unpause it and we continue. Wow. So it, it leaves room for all of that. And it also does leave a little room for you to play with the delivery as you're delivering it. So this is sort of a small exception to what I said before. It, it is, it's not quite word for word. We'll say it's 98, 99%, but you can change the delivery slightly. You can change the wording slightly. Sometimes I'll have the recording ready to go and a speaker before me will say something that I want to comment on, or they'll deliver a statistic that's in my script that I thought was brand new. This just happened couple of weeks ago. So oh. when, yeah. So when I delivered that statistic, I thought I was the first person introducing it, but now I know the audience has already heard it. So when I delivered that statistic, I said, as Francisco said a few minutes ago, Got it. and then said it. So there's always room for improvisation around the edges like that, that keeps it genuinely authentic. But again, it, it it's using this tool that gets you out of your head. And it means that instead of going on stage worrying, at least in my case, that I won't remember things, I go on stage with confidence. I stand with confidence. Uh, I project with confidence. I don't worry about where the words are coming from. I know where they're coming from. I know they'll be there. And I think that feeds into my performance. And I think it makes the audience more likely to listen to me and connect with me 
and see me as a voice of authority through the auction process. Got it. Yeah. And I'm glad you used the word performance because as you're talking, I'm thinking about, um, you know, dress rehearsals and, and, and all types of rehearsals for, for live plays or musicals. My daughter did a musical every, every summer, um, before yeah. she went off to college. And, you know, sometimes she was a little kid and we were there till like 11, 12, 1 a.m. And they were just rehearsing over and over and over again. You really yeah. do put a lot of work. To, I mean, just recording the whole word for word script and alone is a lot of work. And and it's not like you're just recording it. You're recording it as you would deliver and perform it. So you really put a lot into it. Um, so I think to our fundraisers, big, big, big three stars across the top preparation, preparation, preparation. <laughs> Sounds like, um, and as early as, as, as possible. Yeah. So I heard you say a couple of things. I want, I want to kind of segue into, you talked about like games from the stage to kind of, what, what, what are you talking about there? I, I've always remembered the program, the, the ask, the live, but yeah. you talked about this gaming thing. What, what's that all about? Well, I, I really like to broaden the lens with clients and because a lot of folks may, they may have only ever run a live auction or they have only ever run fund the need or that's all they've ever seen. So they may not be aware that there are lots of other ways to raise money in addition to those main structures. So there are, for example, games that an MC can facilitate with you that might take five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops to run that will bring in anywhere from a few hundred extra dollars to maybe a couple thousand extra dollars. And I've got one favorite that I will talk you through. Oh, yeah. I, so I love this. So it's not just a game just to kind of get everybody's attention. It's actually a fundraising game. Yes, it's a fundraising tool. I call it a game because it's fun. It's fun. Okay, for tell me about it. I want to hear. Audience. All right. So this is just one example. Uh, there's a game called Heads or Tails. When I ran it for community rowing, they called it Bow or Stern, but you get the idea. Uh, basically, you have people who choose to play and they have to put 10 or 20 or $30 in a pot usually to do that. And then when they play, you put them all into a group in front of everybody else. So the last time I did this, we were in a hotel ballroom and we put everybody on the stage sort of between me and where the screen was. So they're all in front of all of the main tables where they, where the guests are eating dinner. And we had a huge group. We probably had 40 or 50 people up there. So we had them stand in one giant oval on that stage, all facing each other. And the game itself is really simple. All I do is tell the players, I'm going to flip a coin. And before I flip it, I want all of you to bet on whether you think it will land on heads up or tails up. If you think it'll land on heads up, put your hands on your head. If you think it'll land tails up, put your hands on your butt. And we'll see who's right. So everybody makes their bet before I flip the coin, hands on the head, hands on the butt. I flip the coin. If you guessed right, if you said, hey, I'm, I put my hands on my head and the, and the coin lands heads, Nothing happens. You stay in the game. If the coin, if you guess tails and the coin lands heads and you guess wrong, then you have to leave the game. So every, with every round of this game, about half the players end up leaving. And that's why it can go very quickly. So usually after five, six, maybe seven rounds at the outside, you're down to one person, that one person left who guessed right in every round and they win uh, some prize from you. It could be a gift card. It could be a portion of the pot that people had to pay to get into the game. Uh, you know, it could be whatever you want. So if you have, let's say 40 people each paying 20 bucks a head to get into the game, that's an extra 800 bucks for what, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. That's really not bad. Yeah. 
Oh, that sounds like lots of fun. I think I think I've heard of that before. That what do you call that? What do you call that? Heads or tails. Oh, you do. Okay, great. Yeah, that, I was. That's what I was going to say. Okay, so that's that's uh, uh and you you would do that during in between the live and the appeal or before. Like, where do you usually introduce that? It's one of the trickiest things, right? Do we sneak this in before dinner or after the award or when exactly? Um, I find it works better in the very beginning of what I might consider my segment. So after the cocktail hour, which usually comes first. Okay. And then somewhere in the mix of dinner, usually after the entree is served, maybe during dessert when people are a little more relaxed, but before the main onstage program has started. And it's not only fun and it not only raises a little extra money. But it gives people a game to play. If people only have $20 to donate, then you've given them a way to have fun donating their $20. And for me, it gives them a way to get to know me before I ask them for money. Got so it. We develop a comfort level. I make them laugh a couple. It's like an icebreaker. Yeah. Rather than me just sort of coming up out of the blue and saying, hi, can we have some money? Yeah. I think I'm Andy who ran that heads or tails game. That was super fun. I laughed three times. So oh, they already know you. They yes. already like you. You made them laugh. I see. Yes. So that's another tip there. Um, bring in some type of icebreaker mm -hmm. um, and make it very inclusive, easy, no barriers, easy to get into. And then mm -hmm. that that sets the stage uh, no pun intended, um, for your audience to have a relationship with your auctioneer. All yes. right, I'm getting it. So let's move to the program itself. And, you know, the live auction, there's just so many questions we want to get. It's, you said it yourself, milk that person for, milk your auctioneers for as much as oh, you can. Sure. So I'm going to do that in this, in this show. So many questions there. A live auction. Should you do it? Shouldn't you do it? How many items? What type of items? Does it go before the appeal? After the appeal? Where do you start your ask? What like just blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Question after question after question. Take us through it. Give us all the tips that you got because we we're really want to hear it. Okay. Well, I'll try to give you some of the basics that I found are true for most organizations with the the caveat that everyone is a little bit different, every event is a little bit different, and there it isn't one size fits all. Uh, the one thing I would start out by saying is, and I really want this to resonate, people come to your fundraising events wanting to help you raise funds. They want to give you money. They want to support you. Out of all the other things they could have done with their evening, they've chosen to spend it with you and, and hopefully post-pandemic to show up in person to do it. They are your biggest fans. So I, I see a lot of trepidation from event organizers saying, well, we don't want to push them too hard. And I certainly understand the desire not to alienate the audience, but I encourage you to think not, do we do it or don't we? But think about how can we do it in a way that's appropriate and fun and enjoyable for this audience to maximize the giving for this evening. So to, to sort of take it as an article on faith that they want to help you. And now the question isn't whether they'll help, it's how we can have them help to its best effect. So with that in mind, usually the order is um, that you have the reception and often I'm there as the MC making announcements and, you know, telling people there are five minutes left to go until the silent auction closes. Uh, then you do some sort of sit down event with the speakers. And often there's an award given out and all of that. I encourage you, by the way, to try to keep that that portion of the evening as short as possible, with certainly with respect to the folks who are receiving awards and giving speeches and all the rest. 
um, because you, you want to leave a good, healthy amount of time for the fundraising part, uh, because that's pretty important, too. It's often what pays the bills for the event. And you want to just give that some time to sort of stretch out and breathe a little bit. And then I usually will do the live auction somewhere after dinner. I recommend not doing it during dinner or really not doing it during anything else that is stealing focus and making noise in the room, running an auction while the waiters are clearing the table and hearing the clinking of the silverware and the the glassware and everything as you're trying to explain an auction item and call on bidders, not very effective. So mm. hopefully dinner's completely over, meal service is over, everybody is seated. They've had their drink, they've had a chance to talk to each other, they've had their meals, so they feel full and comfortable. And now they are ready to turn 100% of their attention toward you and consider giving money. So the auction itself, usually I found the sweet spot is about eight items. I've done as few as three, I've done as many as 17. I don't recommend 17, 17. items. Yeah, that was a long night. That's a well, yeah, I was just going to say that's a long night. <laughs> yeah, that that really that really weird. I'm surprised out. to hear you say that though. I I thought the sweet spot was a little bit lower, but you think 8 is a is a manageable number? I do. I think it's a healthy amount. It's it leaves enough room to have a, a nice wide variety of items, not mm. only the style of the items, but also the price point. You can have a couple, you know, high up in the 7 8 10,000 range. You can have a couple in the 5,000 range. You can even have a couple below it. <laughs> starting at the $1,000, $2,000 range. So the folks who can't afford the upper range can still have some fun bidding, even if they don't end up being the winners. You so, know, I think that's really, really, really smart um, because I think it's fun, right? It's fun to be in a ballroom and see the, you know, that electricity and the auctioneer, you know, doing his thing and, and people raising their hand and going once, going twice, and somebody else raises their hand. But yeah. most cases... I'm a spectator of it all. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting on the edge of my seat and looking at the guy if he's going to bid again. I'm a hundred percent spectator because I don't know that I can afford those those high ticket trips. But to bring something in that I could participate in, I would right yeah. if you can bring it down to like that one thousand two thousand price point. So now I see what you're saying. Think about eight items, at almost small, medium, and large, mm -hmm. so that you can get more more bidding, more bidding in the room. I'd love to produce, I'd love to raise my hand and be like, well, have an auctioneer look at me and say, you know, the lady in black, well, we're all in black, but okay, that lady wearing, you know, and, and it's just exciting, but typically I can't participate. So yeah. I love that idea. Okay, tell us more. All right. First of all, Don, I would love to have you in my audience with that kind of enthusiasm. I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't know your name, but I would call on, you know, Bitter 255. Fantastic. Thanks for joining in. I would still have the enthusiasm. And it's fun for you. But what usually happens is the auction items are priced at such a high level that only about 5% of your audience has the bidding power to bid on them. And for the other 95%... What are they doing? Yeah, what just, are they... It's we, a spectator sport. It's a spectator uh, sport for them. Okay, they, so not, they, I got to stop you there. To our audience, think about that when you're looking at your items. Maybe you yeah. can pull something from the silent or do, you know, get creative. I think you have some creative ideas too. But mm -hmm. think about the fact that 95% of your audience is spectating and not donating. So maybe yeah. you want to rethink your items. Yeah. And I think, again, that's a really good general piece of advice is to be as inclusive as possible to structure your events. So there are ways to give at every price point from $20 up to whatever, $10,000, $20,000. So everybody leaves your event thinking I contributed. 
I was useful and valuable to this organization that I loved. I didn't just show up and watch other people give money while being reminded that I can't afford the same things they can afford. That's a little bit of a downer for them. And if you give them those opportunities, they'll grab them. So one way to do that is to have live auction items that start a little bit lower and they may still get bid up much higher into a range that most people can't afford, but at least they had some fun bidding. Um, To do a silent auction, that has things at those lower price points so that they can put those within reach. And there are all sorts of things you can do on the fly too. You might have 50 silent auction items and four of them got no bids. You you have a restaurant item and you have a chauffeured limousine and a hotel and I live in Boston, so Red Sox tickets. You can turn that those four independent silent auction items that didn't sell on the fly into one live auction item. You can make it the first thing you give away. As a package, it may be more appealing to anybody than, it, than the items would have been individually. And then you still make use of those items that you thought were lost from the silent auction. Hmm. So all sorts of things like that. Um, so we go through the live auction. That's usually the high point. And again, the more people who are involved the quieter the room stays. And this is a big challenge for an auctioneer. If you have 95% of the room just watching, they'll watch for a while. But after a while, you know, they're sitting with their friends who they may not see that often. So there's a desire after a while to tune out of the live auction and start hanging out and chatting with your friends. And the more people who do that, the more, the faster it spreads. And then you have to sort of work as an auctioneer to calm the room down. That's more challenging. So it's it turns into a bit of a vicious cycle. So the more you can keep everybody engaged directly as a participant, the quieter the room stays and the more you keep the focus on that event, which is just a nice byproduct of keeping everyone engaged. Yeah, definitely something to think about. Um, being inclusive as much of yeah. the time as you can. I, I think we typically as fundraisers, we think of, okay, lower price items on the silent and higher price items on the live. And then we're going to pull the heartstrings and, you know, we want to get those $10,000 donations, but Hey, listen, I'll take a hundred, $100 donations, you know, just as quickly as I would take, you know, one $10,000 donation. So um, it's interesting to just think of inclusivity throughout your, your, your entire um, event. Um, now you and I, um, chatted a little bit before we decided to do the the show together. I remember you telling me a really great story, um, about something that you did with a Montessori school and just making it very endearing with the, with the live auction items. Can you tell, tell our audience that story as well? I'm trying to remember what I said. We talked about heads. Wasn't there artwork? Artwork oh, for the students? The quickie board, of course. The quickie board. I couldn't remember that. Thank you. The quickie okay. board. So this is such a great example of a way to make an event more inclusive by offering more items at lower price points that more people can afford. So that again, they're not just they're not just viewers, they're active participants. So the quickie board is for stuff that is maybe a little bit too high end for the silent auction, but maybe not a quite a high enough price point for the live auction. In my world, that usually means in the $500 to $1,000 price point. And for the Montessori school, it worked really well. So what they did is they pulled together uh, a number of local items, Red Sox tickets, things like that, that would go in the $500,000 range at face value. And then they also added a whole bunch of, of pieces of artwork made by the students, drawings and paintings. I think there was a hand-knitted hat in there somewhere. And they had about 20, 25 items. And they broke them into categories. And for each category, they had a, a large dry erase board sitting on a chair And they had a volunteer who was monitoring that dry erase board. On each board, they put a grid with each one of those five items and then the donation levels for each item. 
So we gathered a crowd around them. And when I said go for 10 minutes, it sounded like the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. All the guests became organized chaos. Yeah, it was was fantastic. They're all yelling, you know, I'll bid 600 bucks on the Red Sox tickets and I'll bid 800 bucks on the knitted hat. And they are all in a frenzy yelling over each other's shoulders, you know, jumping around, bopping between the different boards, yelling their bids, outbidding each other. Oh, it's entertainment. It's chaotic entertainment. It's fantastic. And, you know, they're the volunteers frantically trying to hear everybody's bids and, you know, wiping out with their fists the, the last one because it's been outbid writing down the new one along with the bidder numbers. And this goes for any length of time you want. For us, it was 10 minutes and I served as the MC. You know, I'm sort of reporting in the middle and telling people, hey, you know, no one's grabbed these Red Sox tickets yet. They're still sitting at 550. What a deal. And directing attention over there. And then at the 10 minute mark, we close the bidding hard. Ring the bell, just like the stock yeah. market. Ding, ding, yeah. <laughs> and then whoever <laughs> is the leading bidder for each of them wins those items. So. Oh. The whole thing, you know, it takes a few minutes to set up and introduce. It takes 10 minutes to run. So in 15 minutes, you can generate several thousand dollars more by pulling in items that you didn't even have to buy and pay for. They were either donated or they were created by the students. And I love it. I mean, I I think you can you can be that resourceful. You know, you can. Yeah, it's that's creative. A way of saying, well, you know, you may have um, you may have a, a donor base who has told you, we don't like live auctions. And so you just cross live auctions off the board and said, well, we can't do them because our base doesn't want them. But if you knew about the quickie board and said, well, okay. Quickie board, I like the name. Yeah, what they're they're really saying is we don't like live auctions the way they've been done in the past. Ah, the version that- Way between the lines. Yeah, the version that we're familiar with. But you as the event planner can say, well, we still need to raise money. So if I can offer them this alternate version that has a whole different feel to it and doesn't take as long and it's not traditional, it's not run by an auctioneer and it sounds super fun, maybe they'll go for that and you can still raise several thousand dollars. Yeah, what are we going to call that? Because we have the silent, we have the live, maybe we can call it the live lint. We can make up a new <laughs> a, a new word. Um, the in-betweener. Yes. Idea. Yeah, it's an it's an in-betweener. Yeah, um, so we have a new thing going on there. That That's kind of fun. Yeah. I can't believe we have just consumed 30 minutes of on the stage talk, but I think behind the scenes is really, really important. If you can stay with me, I think that we have time for just maybe can fit in one more question. I'm, I'm really going with that theme of milking your auction here as much as you can. <laughs> can you stay with us? I just want to explore one more question, if, if, I, if I may, with you. Um, mm-hmm. The technology, bringing technology to the ballroom and making that the trifecta between your guests, the tech, the the software and the auctioneer. Is that is that a triple play? How, how do you feel about the whole um, technology aspect at, at your events? About using technology in general, you mean? For like, yeah, uh, mobile for silent, things? for live, mobile bidding, donations, all yeah. that good stuff. I think it's incredibly valuable. You know, again, this is this is a mindset I brought over from the corporate world. The moment that someone expresses a desire to help you by making a donation, be ready, right? Ah, be <laughs> ready. Right. Make so it easy, means- make it convenient, be ready. Yes. Now, in, in case of one cause, that could mean make sure that they already have a text on their phone with a link so that they can do mobile bidding and you can capture that quickly or... Make sure that you have a volunteer no more than 10 steps away with an iPad who's looking for that person to raise their hand so they can run over and capture that donation on their mobile device. But you want to be ready just for that moment whenever it comes in the evening where they say, I'm ready to go. 
Uh, the tricky thing for an auctioneer, really for anybody standing on stage, is that we're trying to create um, a, an event that's a, a donation process that's visible in the room. So if people are giving exclusively on their phones, then you have an audience full of people who are looking down and typing on their phones and nobody else can really see what they're doing. I like an audience that's looking up, looking around at each other, looking at me and raising cards in the air. So ideally, these things are all designed to work together where you're you're getting information uh, it, when it's raised on a card in the air the old-fashioned way, but you're capturing it digitally through one cause. You're feeding it into an updated donation total that's always... Uh, like a scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. That, that gets them yeah. looking yeah. up and gets that, the auctioneer involved with what they're doing on their phone. Yep. That may be right behind you. It's being updated in real time or maybe after the fundraising is done, you show them the total on the board. And then the moment those folks are leaving, you have all that information at the checkout desk and you may not even need to do anything but confirm the total. You've already got their credit card and they're good to go. So that also eliminates the um, the tension points for them. So that they don't feel like, oh, now, you know, my punishment for having given something is I have to go wait in line for 45 minutes. The experience. It's all right. about the experience from beginning to end. Right. Their checkout, I mean, their check-in, their, yes. you know, it's just all about, it's all about that experience. So I don't know if you know, I'm going to do a little plug. I'm going to be, you know, a little shameless here. Um, One Cause just introduced a new fundraising platform about a month ago, and it gives auctioneers real-time table analytics so that um, you could really drive some competition in the room. You know who your greatest owner is at a table, what table's performing, what table is not. Um, and it's it's pretty exciting. Um, I'm not as explaining it as well as our you know product team can explain <laughs> it, but I know those table analytics and that real-time data that you can feed to the stage to you know, get a culture of of uh, donating going has mm -hmm. really been a game changer for auctioneers. So um, hopefully you'll get to experience that soon. And then you really have them looking up and everybody, wait, what's going on? What's table number one doing? Wow, table number five, let's get going. So it's pretty exciting stuff. It sounds fantastic. And, and that information is so valuable in the moment. You never know what one... What one word, you know, what what one request, making eye contact with one person in the right moment, what's just going to pop another offer, another raised hand, another donation up in the air. So the more information you can have in the moment to say, hey, be aware of these people, you know, be aware of this price point, go to table one and make an appeal over there. You'd be surprised. And that's, you know, again, that's that's what this is all about. You get nothing if you don't ask. So the more ways you can ask, the more price points you can put out for asking, the more ways you have to give people a fun experience in return for answering that call when you ask, the more information you have at your fingertips about who to ask, all of it feeds into a successful event. Wow, there's so much to learn from you. I really appreciate you just sharing all of these tips. We might have to have you back in the new year to tell us what's trending and what's not, what's working, some success stories. So hopefully you'll come back and visit with us again. Of course, I'd love it. Oh, that's good to hear because we're going to milk this for everything we got. <laughs> fundraisers, that's about all we have time for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Thursdays, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 
And in the meantime, listen to all the episodes on Raise Nation Radio. Follow the channel that is your favorite so that you can get the notifications about all our new guests. We have fundraisers um, and nonprofits joining us all the time. We know that fundraisers are doing amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Stories are awe-inspiring. You won't want to miss a single episode. I would like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with their donors. Be sure to check it out at onecause.com and visit the resource tab on their homepage for a broad catalog of ebooks and blogs and podcasts um, that you'll find very helpful. A huge shout out and thanks to my guest, Mr. Andy Sachs, for sharing a very expert and authentic auctioneer voice. Thank you, Andy, for being with us. If our audience needs to get in touch with you, how do we find you? Uh, you can find me through my website, which is www.sparkpresentations.com. And there's an auctioneer button on that that will take you right into the service. You can also call me. And by the way, I'll, I'll just tell people, um, you know, I'm I'm happy to be a resource for you, even if you don't have an event coming up, even if you're not going to hire me as an auctioneer. If there's something, some piece of advice you need, just give me a shout. My phone number is 781-454-7600. And what about LinkedIn? Can we get you there too? You can. Yeah. Just just put in my name or put in Spark Presentations. I should pop right up. And my last name, just so you know, because I know there are a million ways to spell Saks. It's S-A-K-S, like Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh, like, oh, I'll remember that now. Yeah. Oh, wait, let's get the Spark Presentations. It's Spark Singular Presentations, plural, right? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Spark, yes. Spark Singular Presentations, plural.com. Spark. That's a mouthful. Andy Sachs <laughs> from SparkPresentations.com. Yes. I you got, got it. it. You got Ooh. it. That's perfect. And I don't even have an ear prompter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I truly enjoyed our conversation today. Any last words of inspiration? Uh, again, I just want to encourage folks. Um, people are out there. It's been a long two years for them, too. They want to come back to in-person events. They want to support you. They want to give. Don't be afraid of them. Give them lots of opportunities to come back and support you, and they will be there for you. I think that was a theme today. Lots of opportunities to give. Well, thank you again, Andy, so much. This has been very helpful. We're going to have to get you back for sure because there's so much on the stage that happens that controls the, you know, the, the donating in the room. And I know it's really important to our fundraisers. So thanks again. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm, I'm a listener to this podcast. It's very exciting to be on it. Ah, so sweet of you to say. Well, fearless fundraisers, that's a wrap. Until next time, I'm Don Lego. This is Reese Nation Radio. You stay fearless out there. 